Turn with me this morning to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. We have been looking at uh, this wonderful gospel for several weeks. And as we listen to God's Word, I want to ask that you also be in a little bit of an attitude of prayer this morning as well for those who cannot be with us. Uh, Miss Geraldine Woolbright called me this morning. Uh, if you've been following her health progress, uh, she talked. I talked to her this morning. She's actually on her way home from the hospital now. So I'll be praying for her. Uh, I had a long visit with Miss June last week on Friday. Uh, she's doing well. Boy, we had, we, we had church in her living room. <laughs> Amen. And so I'll be praying for her and she's back. When, when she does get back, and we will love and embrace her. Um, but several in our church have been sick, continue to be sick, continue to pray also for Tim and Joanne Cody, who are still in Pennsylvania this morning. Don't know the status of how long they'll be gone, but Tim's brother, if you have not heard, Tim Cody's brother passed away this week. Um, and so it has been a long illness with him. Um, and Tim and Joanne are amongst family who are not Christians. And so they have asked for our prayer for them that the light of Christ would shine through this time of grief. Amen. So I'll be praying for them. And if you can think to send a message to them, call them, send a text. Uh, they've got their phones with them. And if you've got the number, uh, that would really help them out. Matthew chapter 4 this morning. If you can, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Reading the first four verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes. From the mouth of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for speaking to us in your word. And as you are faithfully guiding us through this gospel, Lord, now we see that your son, Jesus Christ, faced hunger and temptations in the midst of his physical weakness as part of your design for his ministry. And so, God, as we read these words... Many of us may be hearing something familiar, and it's through your Spirit, Lord, that you'll connect your text, your holy word to our souls. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts to hear clearly from your voice. I pray, God, that you would speak boldly into each of us, into this congregation and our lives as Christians, into our lives even as sinners. Father, there's much here that can relate. And so, God, I pray that we would hear openly and that we would hear clearly under God that this time would bring you glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Please have a seat. Thank you. Matthew's gospel is that wonderful... book that points to the kingdom of God and primarily pointing to Jesus as the king. His authority as God's son is established very clearly throughout this gospel. 
For the last several weeks, we were in chapter 3, and we saw John the Baptist's ministry, preaching of repentance, what that looks like, how repentance is not just merely admitting I'm wrong. It's more than that. All of that in preparation for the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and there's a difference between John's baptism of repentance and the baptism we now practice in Christ Jesus of belief. Big difference. But Jesus here, even in his baptism, as we looked at that last week, Jesus himself has now been, uh, his coronation is now complete. Jesus is now established on the scene here in the gospel as the king of kings that we've all been looking toward, the Messiah that has been promised for generations and generations. Now God the Father has spoken his words of blessing upon his son, and the spirit has descended and stayed on Christ. I don't know about you, but if I'm a, if I'm a monarch and if I've just gone through a coronation, the last thing I want to do is go out into the wilderness and and actually fast for forty days. I don't know about you. I've never been a king. I've never been a monarch. Anybody in this room ever been that? Anyone ever been through that wonderful process? But I, I do know this. Whenever I've read stories or I've, I've watched the movies, it seems like the monarch, when they are set into the position that they are, they are now the coronation is a a, a ceremony, uh, a time of recognizing God's sovereignty over this monarch. And the monarch being established in a particular place of, of reverence and authority. And Jesus here clearly is in that place. But we see here in chapter 4, verse 1, immediately after his baptism, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness for one purpose, and that was to be tempted by the devil. I actually enjoy being out in the woods. I enjoy being out in nature. Now, I don't necessarily enjoy it during the wintertime because it's cold and wet and damp and not very pleasant. I always wait until the springtime or, or the pleasant, uh, the pleasant weather of the fall. I mean, going out into God's nature is refreshing to the soul. I think Jesus's purpose here was not refreshing his soul. <laughs> We see here in verse 1 that Jesus was being led by the Spirit. And if we're, remind, if we're reminding of what just happened in previous verses, the Holy Spirit rested on him. And the Holy Spirit now leads Jesus the Son into the wilderness, into the wilderness for a particular purpose, and that was to be tempted. We're going to be looking at these temptations in chapter 4 for the next several weeks and unpacking what each one of these imply and what each one of these mean. And, and the one thing I want us to be reminded of is that even though there are only three temptations listed in this text and in other passages and other gospels, there were 40 days and 40 nights of temptation that our Savior Jesus Christ endured. I wanted that reality just to sink in for just a minute. God's Son, Jesus Christ, was purposefully led into the wilderness for one thing and one thing only, and that is to endure suffering and temptations in such a way that you and I, I don't know we could really survive. I want you to ponder that for a minute. 
The Holy Spirit had purpose here in sending Jesus Christ out into the wilderness. The wilderness here is exactly where this whole situation is is portrayed in chapters 3 and chapter 4. It was John the Baptist who was preaching in the wilderness we see in chapter 3, verse 1. All of the baptisms were outside of the civilization, outside of the cities. It was out in the wilderness that all of this is taking place as God the Father is ordaining Jesus Christ into this ministry role and his ministry is now ushered into the world. He's coming onto the scene. It all begins in the wilderness. We're going to see some significant connections here with what that is. But the one thing that I really want to begin to think about here in this text is the idea of temptation. Anybody here know what temptation is like? I think the advertisers and the marketing professionals understand the power of temptation and they manipulate that and they take advantage of that to make sales. That's what advertising is all about. It's, It's an alluring, it is tempting us to want what they have to give us or to sell us. Whatever it is, it's a service, it's a product. Uh, whenever you go into the grocery store, there is a reason that they have all of the temptations right there in the checkout aisle. All that wonderful chocolate and the Slim Jims. How many men have grabbed the Slim Jim on the way through the gr- uh, grocery store aisle and ate it before they got home and threw the wrapper away before their wife found it? I'm seeing a lot of men going... We have temptations around us. Temptations are ever constant. Temptations are always around and always calling us and pulling us directions. And here's the thing about temptations that I want us to think about. Temptations, if we really stop and ponder what a temptation is, a temptation is not always very obvious. It's as if uh, uh, Satan, who is the accuser that is the pr- one of the main characters in this text, it's, a, it's not as if the, the tempter or, or Satan himself, the accuser, comes and just makes himself known as, okay, I'm going to tempt you now. It's not like he's pulling out the carrot on the stick and saying, okay, looky here. I mean, that, that's a little bit too obvious. The tempter, when he comes, the tempter will come in such a way that it is subtle. And if we're not careful, we'll be, we'll be lulled into a situation that we never saw coming to begin with. What is happening here is that Jesus Christ, as he is in the wilderness, he has been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, and he was hungry. I've been hungry before, haven't you? Now, the hunger is, is different in different situations. I mean, this type of hunger, you have to imagine not really eating well for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting in this situation. Jesus would have clearly been taking in water whenever in the wilderness he could find the water. Otherwise, his physical body would not have survived 40 days without water. But no food, no sustenance. If I go two meals without eating, I'm hangry. Not just hungry. I'm irritable. Can y'all, can I get a witness? Is it just the men who are hangry or sometimes all, all of us are hangry if we miss our blood sugar fix? 
our blood sugar gets out of whack and our stomach is growling and we can feel the emptiness and there is a hunger. As even as I'm talking here, some of y'all may not have had your breakfast yet and you're waiting for the preacher to stop preaching so you can go eat. Hungry. We have to understand what hunger is. Hunger is this thing that is a, it's a physical thing. We have the physical hunger that without hunger, we would not really want food, which is necessary and beneficial to our health and well-being. But hunger here, is, even though it is a physical thing, this hunger also leads to a spiritual dryness And this is what Jesus is facing here. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. It's interesting here in verses 2 and verses 3, the connection here between hunger and bread. We have to look here a little bit deeper as to what's happening here with this hunger. This hunger is is the... Ground zero of the temptation by the devil. This hunger, this hunger of Jesus clearly shows that Jesus was fully human and he had physical attributes. And this hunger was something that could drive his mind crazy. This hunger is something that would have drawn his physical spirit and his physical body into such a place of weakness that he would be, uh, he would be prime pickings for the devil. When your body is, when your body has been neglected of nutrition for 40 days and 40 nights, look at your physical state. I would say Jesus clearly lost a little bit of weight, wouldn't you? Number one. Number two, I mean, physically his body is so weak, he probably wouldn't be able to, to stay focused. He, he wouldn't be able to move or walk very well. He was probably in such a physical depravity here that he was probably, he may have just been sitting and laying anywhere that he could because he did not have the physical energy to do much. If you've ever been so sick, that you had to stay in a bed and you could not move. You are then in a place of dependence in ways that you are not normally dependent. (coughs) Physically, you are in a place of weakness to where you must depend on someone else to help you. You are unable to serve yourself. You're unable to think for yourself or do for yourself. Sometimes your physical condition can get so weak that you must depend on something or someone. So this is the place where Jesus was at physically. Spiritually here, we have to understand that Jesus here, as his hunger is here, this hunger leads to a desire to satisfy the hunger pains. The physical emptiness of the stomach and the physical drain of nutrition from the body leads to a thing of desire to satisfy what is wrong, which is the very basis of temptation. Temptation comes out of desire, and desire, if used properly, can be led, can lead to a wonderful, beautiful thing. But if desire is not directed spiritually and not directed correctly, then desire can lead to a very, very poor end. We have to look here that temptation is what's at the middle here. Temptation, we have to understand, is not necessarily sinful. 
Because we are surrounded by temptations all the time. And temptations come out of cravings, comes out of desire. Temptations come out of the natural processes of the body of when we are hungry, we want to satisfy the hunger. Temptation comes out of appetites. Temptation comes out of passion and and desires of love for one another. Temptation comes out of desires for things that are beautiful and alluring and calling us. And where do we first see this? issue of temptation. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. This is exactly where all of this is going back to. Genesis chapter 3. What Jesus is experiencing here in Matthew chapter 4 is merely a reflection of what started many, many, many generations before in in Genesis chapter 3. We see here hunger and desire being distorted for evil ends. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we see here in these first three verses of Genesis chapter 3, the idea of hunger. God has instilled within His creation something very beautiful and very necessary. When we are hungry, we are attracted to food. Can we get an amen? But when we are hungry, are we attracted to good-looking food and good-tasting food, or are we attracted to just junk, bad food? Depends. I don't know about you. I mean, there comes a point where I'm so hungry, I don't care what it is, I'm going to eat it. But there's also a point of take that first bite and you want to be real polite and just kind of spit it out in the napkin and hide it under your table, right? And you look at the lovely wife or the lovely grandmother or the lovely aunt or whoever it was that, or the, or the loving husband who wanted to feed the kids, but he just has no idea what he's doing. And you want to be real polite and you just and you stick it out and oh, I'll, I'll eat something else later. Amen. Some of y'all are grinning on that one. But the idea of hunger and desire, we see this even in the Genesis narrative. God gives everything that Adam and Eve needed to sustain their physical well-being and their spiritual well-being. And we see here in God's design, He has given a desire of not only hunger, but to satisfy that hunger with things that are beautiful and attractive and and well-shaped and and just desirous to eat, but also desirous to look at. I can't imagine that this fruit that Adam and Eve were both coming to eat, the fruits of the trees, I don't know that they would go and eat an ugly fruit. If you had a choice between an ugly fruit and a, and a beautiful fruit, which will satisfy your desire more? I think the beautiful fruit is the one that's going to attract your attention. And so Satan continues here in verse 3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That one again, that's from Eve. But verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And we see here in the very beginning of the creation story exactly what Jesus was facing and his temptations with Satan. The woman here in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, we see the three steps here, the three different things that we were just talking about. She saw that the tree was good for food. She's now beginning to rationalize her temptation. Well, I mean, the, the food on the tree, it's good. Yeah, food is good. The tree is good. Everything God gives us is good. What's so bad about it? First step to temptation. Not only was it reasonably good, it was also delightful to the eyes, beautiful, attractive, alluring. And then lastly, the tree was to be desired. What was the desire? Wisdom. (laughs) Knowledge. Not only is this just good food to eat, well, it's beautiful as well, but man, look at the benefits of this tree. The temptation is now working its magic through the woman Eve. And she takes the fruit and she succumbs to the temptation and she gives the fruit to her husband, Adam, who was with her and he ate. And then the outcome in verse 7 and following clearly leads to the fact that what we thought was good and beautiful and desirable led to something that was so horrendous and destructive that we're still paying for it now. What is Jesus facing here in Matthew chapter 4? Nothing different. Satan here is repeating the same story. He's repeating the same scene. Here Jesus, the Son of God, is now in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And obviously he was starving. And the tempter, the name of Satan here, another name for Satan um, is the tempter or, or, the, or the deceiver or the accuser. All of these names lead to the same thing. The tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I mean, there's always truth to a temptation. The tempter here points to rocks. Now, I don't know about you. I've never been so hungry that I would eat a rock. How about you? <laughs> I will admit, I mean, I've been uh, in my military days, uh, years and years ago, we would be in such physical exertion that when at the end of the days, man, we were so famished that we would eat just about anything that they would give us. I don't know that I would eat a rock. But the tempter points to stones and he says, son of you are the son of God. He, he acknowledges the truth. Jesus, you are the son of God. The temp, temptations. Here's another thing about temptation. It always pulls out and begins from a little bit of truth. You are the son of God. And Jesus knew his state here. He knew exactly who he was. All of, we, we know that there have been theologians over the centuries who have tried to challenge the idea that Jesus did not fully comprehend his deity, did not fully comprehend his identity. But we see here an example here in verse three, you are the son of God. 
from the tempter, the devil himself. If Satan understood the role of Jesus Christ, I think Jesus himself understood his role too. You're the son of God. Elevating Jesus' status, reminding him of his high authority as the son of God. Which means that you can do anything you want. If you are the son of God, you are God himself incarnate in the flesh. You can command whatever you want. You're hungry. You can solve this problem. Now, is that not the second major issue here in temptations? Whenever we are tempted, what makes the temptation dangerous is the fact that we are tempted to solve the dilemma ourselves. That's what Eve did. That's what Adam did. That's what Abraham did. His wife, Sarah. On and on. David himself. Solving his problems. Temptations lead to solutions that, oh, I've got the answer for this. I'll fix this. And that is a major, major problem, even for me. If there is a dilemma that needs to be fixed, I'm not going to go to sleep until I have the answer to solve it. And if I need to just fix it, I'm going to fix it. And then we'll worry about the consequences later. Have anybody ever done that? I'm the only one, apparently. The temptation here by Satan, you are the son of God. Why don't you just command these stones to become loaves of bread? You're hungry. You've got the power to fix it. You've got the power to resolve it. Just make these, just make your own bread. You can, you can provide for yourself, which goes contrary to the very nature of fasting. What is fasting for? Fasting is that spiritual discipline where we intentionally deny ourselves the physical needs in order to depend upon God to provide for our spiritual needs. That's the very discipline of fasting itself. And Satan, understanding that, takes that very truth and twists it and leads Jesus's mind, or at least tries to lead Jesus's mind, to resolving the situation of his physical depravity on his own. Taking his mind off of the spiritual need or the spiritual goal for fasting to, wait a minute, you're... Physical need is calling out for satisfaction. You need to take care of that. So where is this all coming from? Jesus is in the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. And the whole purpose of fasting and the whole purpose of the, te- of the season of temptation was in order for Jesus Christ to, to, perha- to begin to prepare himself for his ministry. Turn with me to, Deuter- to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Where does, this is where all of this is really coming from. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In your bulletin, I have provided this text for you. If you want to go back and look at this a little bit deeper, but Deuteronomy chapter 8. As the Mosaic law is being laid out, and and as God is prophesying here in this wonderful book of the law, it's actually Moses himself retelling 
It's, or it's a retelling of Moses and his teachings to the people. And Deuteronomy is this collection of, if you want to say, the prophecies that God speaks through Moses, through the law. And it's just literally God speaking. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. So this is setting the scene here. Uh, God's children are the children of Israel. They are now on the outskirts of the promised land. And God has been now he, he's, he's taking them through wilderness wanderings for 40 years. You can imagine after 40 years of wandering and hearing the stories of glory and hearing the stories of promise and God is going to provide for us and we're going to have our own place and he's going to give us everything we need. And now I begin in verse 1 of chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command to you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let your hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first three verses, really helps us understand what Jesus is up to or what he's up against here in Matthew chapter 4. You see the imagery going on here? God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit leads Jesus the Son into the wilderness for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to be tempted by the devil. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. That is not insignificant. That is purely right in alignment with 40 years of wandering that God's people were suffering in the wilderness before they went into the promised land. Where God's people failed time and time again. The reason they were wandering for 40 years is because they did not trust the Lord. They continually grumbled and complained. And God said, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to purge out the generation that did not trust me. And I'm going to teach this next generation over 40 years of wandering in the desert to depend upon me. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 8 says. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Look here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. This text tells us exactly what God's purpose was for the wandering in the desert. He caused a generation to wander for, 30, for 40 years in the, in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Trials and temptations I see here in Scripture pretty much tell us what they're for. Trials and temptations are meant to reveal our true nature, whether or not we will keep God's commandments or not. How loyal are we to the Father in heaven? 
How loyal are we to the gospel salvation through Jesus Christ? How loyal are we to this new life we have in Christ? Do we trust God? I see here pretty clearly that God directs a lot of that. Here's God's sovereign providence at work. If God causes his people to wander for 40 years, God has a reason. It's not merely punishment. Even though there was a generation that needed to die first before the people could go into the land, it was also for God's purpose of testing his people to know what was in their heart. Now, you could say that is contradictory to Scripture where God says in His Word, I know the hearts of man. And Jesus Himself knows the hearts of men. He knows who is genuine, who is not. Perhaps this testing is also for ourselves. Do we know what is in our heart. God, through his love, will cause trials and temptations to come to us. He will allow these things. He will allow the tempter and the Satan himself to stir up within us trials and temptations in order for us to know what is in our hearts. And so that God himself can purge it. God wants to know whether or not we'll keep his commandments. We, a, a good parent will do this with their children from time to time. You'll set your kids up for a little test, won't you? You know that their dirty socks are still in the floor. You know that their toys that they should have been put away a long time ago are still not put away. You know this as a parent. Do you then go and command and shake your finger at the children and say, go do this? You may have to do that from time to time, but is there, a, is there wisdom in letting it just lay there for a while and asking them from time to time, did you pick up those t- uh, toys? Did you clean up your room? You, you, sometimes you do that to test the truthfulness of your children. Did that with our boys as they were growing up from time to time. Did you take the trash out like I asked you to this morning? knowing that they did not, to see what their answer would be to me, to see if I can trust them. Parents, we do this all the time, don't we? I thank God our Father in heaven does the same thing. He will allow temptations and trials to come our way to test us, to see what's in our heart, to see how loyal we are. Trials are meant then to reveal our true nature. Temptations serve the purpose of revealing our true nature. Will we depend on the Lord or will we follow through this temptation to a sinful outcome? Our nature will come through. Now look here at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. This is what Jesus himself refers to. This Text, this one verse is what Jesus is using as a rebuttal to Satan. Verse three, and he humbled you and let your, or let you hunger and fed you with manna. Jesus in the wilderness during his temptation time was allowed to go hungry. 
He was allowed to starve so that God would feed him with manna. Deuteronomy chapter 3, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We do not live by material needs alone. We have material needs. We need food, clothing, shelter, medical care, a good place to sleep, safety, security. All of that is necessary for our physical and spiritual well-beings. But Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4, go ahead and flip back over there. As the tempter is testing Jesus Christ to make those stones loaves of bread, which he could do with a thought if he wanted to. Had Jesus made the loaves of bread out of stones, then Jesus would have failed the test. He says here in verse 4, his response to the tempter, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, God humbles us and lets us go hungry so that we will know who feeds us. We will know who feeds us physically. We will know who feeds us spiritually. God will allow these seasons of temptation and dryness and hunger so that we will know where our source comes from. I don't know about you, but if I'm driving home or I'm I'm stuck in traffic and my day has just been exhausting and tempting and overburdened and worn out and I'm just on my last nerve and and I am just got this hunger pain in my stomach and I don't have anything to eat and I'm hangry, I'm going to probably be tempted to run through Burger King and get a double bacon cheeseburger with onion rings and a big Coke. And I don't do that Often, honey. (laughs) Amen? Why is it that fast food is such a productive business? Fast food, I mean, the food's tasty for the most part, but why is it that fast food has grabbed into? They don't, fast food is not food business. Fast food is a satisfaction business. Fast food businesses know what we're tempted with. Fast food businesses know what we're hungry for. They know what we desire, and that's what they're selling. That's what they're solving. They're providing what we want in the moment. And the tempter, as he's testing Jesus Christ, what God was looking for in his son. Okay, let's let's see, Jesus, what your response is going to be. Are you going to depend on the fast food of making the stones into bread, an instant meal, or are you going to depend on me? And Jesus responds with God's word. He understands where his source comes from. He knew from his very essence of being that it was God's word that he was really hungry for. As we look in this passage, we see that Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, and he was hungry. He was hungry for something. 
And that hunger could have been satisfied with bread. But ultimately what Jesus was hungry for was the word of God. When he says here in verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, this temptation and this hunger, this desire, ultimately was really hungry and desiring God's word in his mind and in his soul. When we are hungry, when we desire anything, let me help you understand what God is doing here. There's a bigger spiritual message at play. Yes, my stomach is empty. Yes, my body is stressed. Yes, my mind is tired and worn out. But ultimately, what all of that is designed for by our creator is to cause us to really want him. All of these things in our physical being are serving a greater spiritual purpose. And that is God's design in His creation. He allows us to desire. He allows us to hunger. And what is it that He wants us to hunger for? Him. I don't know what it is. and We're all dealing with a lot of different things in our lives. Yeah, we're, none of us are none of us are shielded from temptations. None of us are shielded from desires. None of us are even shielded from hunger, not just physical hunger. Are you hungering a relationship that you don't have? Are you craving that special someone to love you? Are you hungry and desiring uh, financial well-being? Are you, are you hungering and desiring just security and serenity in your life? Whatever it is that you're missing, that you are tempted to, re- to solve and to fulfill, what is it exactly that God is calling you to do? He's calling you to depend upon Him. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. It's more than just the bread. It's more than just fulfilling a a physical need. All of this is pointing to a greater spiritual truth. As God has created His world, His universe, us, His people, as He's created all things, he, He designed within all of that Hunger and desire and passions and cravings, not just to eat well, not just to even desire and crave relationships with one another. All of that's healthy for us, isn't it? It's greater than that. It's all pointing ultimately to God himself wants us to crave and hunger for him. When we look back over our lives and see the mistaken choices that we've made, if we really reflect on that in prayer, I'm confident that if we're honest with ourselves and we're honestly listening to the Lord, we can look back on, 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 on every single bad choice that we've ever made and realize that the choice was God. And His desire, His plan, His will, His love for us. Instead, we substituted that for whatever it was in the moment that resolved the problem. What is Jesus teaching us here in His temptations? Is that number one, He relates to every single one of us. 
When we are in sin and we all are depraved human beings separated from God by our sin, we are in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness outside of God's presence and outside of His love. The wilderness here was real, but there's also a bigger spiritual picture here. Every one of us are wandering in the wilderness outside of God's mercy. Even even in our saved condition, we are probably still wandering in the wilderness as well. When you're in the wilderness and you're uncomfortable, I don't know if you've ever been camping, anybody ever sleep on on the hard ground on rocks? You'll do anything to solve that uncomfort, won't you? When we're in the wilderness, we're outside of God's love and outside of His will. And God will allow the cravings and the desire to solve our uncomfort with Him. I don't know where you are spiritually this morning, but if you're in a place of spiritual wandering, and God has really designed that so that you would look to Him. I think that's what Jesus is trying to point out here. Number one, He's in the wilderness just like we are. He is, he is actually successfully navigating through temptations like Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden. He hungered, but he did not take the bait of the tempter. He's relating to each and every single one of us in our wilderness wandering of sin because Jesus is right there showing us exactly what His ministry was up to. His ministry ultimately points to the salvation that God the Father gives us through His mercy and through His grace. And Jesus was there to relate and to grab us exactly where we are and to show us the path to ultimately what it is we're hungering for. And it's not a quick fix. What we're ultimately hungry for is salvation that only Jesus Christ Himself can provide. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful story in the gospel that is so true and so real? The question is, do we see it as real? Do we experience it as real? Or do we just say, well, yeah, that was a nice sermon. Yeah, it's all right. Oh, Pastor Brian did okay today. Didn't go to sleep once. <clears throat> hint, hint. No, no one's going to sleep. How do we, how do we apply this? Let me close out with the words of our Savior Jesus Christ as he's reading from Deuteronomy, or as he's citing and remembering Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Speaking of God, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What is it that you're hungry for today? You're really hungry for God's word. And God in His sovereignty directs all of this so that we will wake up and realize what it is we really desire. That's beautiful. All right. Well, let me close this in prayer and we'll be dismissed, okay? Father God Almighty, we do thank You for this privilege to come into Your house. And I pray, God, that in the midst of our busyness, that You would remind us that there is a place of solitude and refuge on the Sabbath.
this Sunday, this one day where we set aside to worship you and to remember the glorious payment for our sin through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray for your mercy and your blessing on us all as we leave. May your grace shine in our lives. May you walk before us in every step that we take. And, Lord, may you lead us back here safely again on Wednesday and then next Sunday. Love our congregation, Father, as we strive to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a blessed week.